The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I have pulled up my pants. Not that anyone would know the difference. I have. (laughs) Not that they were ever down. But anyway, that's just the segue from that great minute of sound, remnants of Super Bowl 55. Shereen Williams, Mike Flora here for PFTPM. We have a good show today. Not to imply that the usual shows aren't. Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston will be joining us coming up in a few minutes. And then MDS with our awards for Super Bowl 55. Different categories than we did throughout the season. Just to make things interesting, Shereen, good afternoon. Cold in Texas today? What a shame. What a shame that Texas is dealing with the same weather that the rest of the country is dealing with. We feel very badly for you right now. And a chance of snow later this week, Mike, and you know what happens in Dallas-Fort Worth when it snows, right? Yes, I do. Hide under the bed and wait for it to melt. That's right. Hide under the bed and wait for it to melt. I, I spent a week in that environment, and I learned how to walk a quarter mile or so on ice every day, back and forth from our hotel to the convention center for Super Bowl 45, 10 years ago. All right, let's get into it. It was eight years ago, nine seasons ago, that Russell Wilson became a member of the Seattle Seahawks. There's plenty of talk regarding whether or not he will finish his career in Seattle. He claims to want to play until he's 45. Some stuff has emerged in recent days. Sunday, one of the Super Bowl Sunday splash reports, Shereen. The Seahawks getting phone calls about the availability of Russell Wilson. Seahawks say he's not available. A report from Monday night, Jason Lockenfora of CBS Sports. Russell Wilson's camp is frustrated with the lack of blocking that Wilson gets and the situation bears serious monitoring or something ominous like that. There's something going on, but look, time will tell how it all plays out. Earlier today, Russell Wilson on Peacock on the Dan Patrick show. Here he is, and we're going to play some of what he said. For starters, here's Wilson talking about his desire to be more involved in the team's personnel decisions. How much input should the quarterback have in organizational moves? Veteran quarterback. Yeah, I think it depends on who it is. Well, how about you? you? How much... Do you have any say in what Seattle does offensively with free agents or draft draft picks? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that it's, uh, you know, I, I think that ultimately for me personally, I, you know, I think that I want to be able to ha- be involved because at the end of the day, it's your legacy. It's your team's legacy. It's, you know, it's the guys you get to go into the huddle with. That's a long-winded way of not answering my question. Are you involved in personnel decisions? Have you been involved in personnel decisions? Not, not as much. I don't, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for, do you for me, want to be involved Russ? Yeah, I, I think it helps. I think it helps to, to, to be involved more. Um, but I think that's that dialogue should, should happen more often. Look, I've said this time and again, as it relates to all quarterbacks, the coaching staff in the front office and ownership want the quarterback to be a quasi member of management, uh, a boss on the shop floor, setting the example, showing up early, staying late, motivating, inspiring, holding accountable. It's so much better coming from the quarterback. And then when it's time to have the management meeting, oh, sorry, sorry, supervisors only. You're just one of the employees. That doesn't fly, especially with the best quarterbacks. And now, and we've been on to this. Now that Tom Brady has shown what happens when the front office and the coaching staff say, hey, fine, we'll get whoever you want. Some of these other great quarterbacks that are jostling to get to number two in the way of Super Bowl wins, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, I think they're going to start start pushing a little bit harder for some of the power that management in Tampa gave to Tom Brady, Shereen. Yeah, Mike, and you started this and you were the first one on it. We were texting back and forth the group on the PFT chain 
of, of who the quarterbacks are that can do this. And Russell Wilson certainly is one of those. I don't think anybody would argue with that, that he's a franchise quarterback who should dictate at least a little bit who the personnel is, at least on offense. He can encourage some guys to come to Seattle. There's no doubt about that. He can encourage them possibly to take less money to come to Seattle. So why wouldn't you want a guy like Russell Wilson involved in some of these decisions? You would think that he would be much happier playing there and, and more willing to do what it takes to win. Not that he's not doing that now, but he would have more of an invested interest in what they're doing, Mike. Prime example, Antonio Brown. Remember we heard stories, rumors, reports about the possibility of the Seahawks adding Antonio Brown? That was Russell Wilson. And so Tom Brady gets the guy he wants, and what happens? Antonio Brown catches a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. Yeah, according to Clyde Christensen, he ran the wrong route. But still, he won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. And I'm not saying that Antonio Brown would have been the difference maker for the Seahawks, but it's the idea of you're going to listen to the quarterback or you're not. And if you don't, the quarterback eventually is going to start thinking, maybe I need to go somewhere. Will they will listen to me. The Tom Brady example. He came from New England. Patriot way. Do your job. Do your expletive deleted job. It's not your job as the quarterback to determine who the players are. Do your job, Tom. 20 years of that gets old. One year of it in Tampa and look at what happens for Tom Brady. So with all that said, here's Russell Wilson from the Dan Patrick show on the question of whether or not he is available for a trade. What do you make of uh, CBS Jason Lock and Forrest saying that Seattle had gotten you know calls for uh, possible you know uh, trade talks with you? Do you believe that that uh, Seattle has gotten calls? Yeah, I definitely believe they've gotten calls for sure. I think that uh, you know I think anytime you're um, you know you know uh, a player that you know tries to produce every week and has done it for you know consistently, I think people are going to call for sure, and I think. It's part of the process. Yeah, but you're a franchise quarterback. You're a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're not available, are you? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm available or not. That's a, that's a Seahawks <laughs> question. Hey, look, uh, there's a belief in some league circles that eventually Russell Wilson will play for another team. And here's how it's going to go down. This year, I'd be stunned if it happens pre-June 1. If it happens pre-June 1, Shireen, the Seahawks take a $39 million cap charge. And this is one of those years where you don't have to do it before June 1. If there's not going to be an off-season program, who cares? Do the trade after June 1 if there's a team out there that decides they really want Russell Wilson. But where this is going to hit critical mass is the next time Wilson's agent, Mark Rogers, begins negotiating another contract for Russell Wilson because every time that Wilson has done an extension, what's happened? He's gotten to the top of the market. He's gotten to the top of the market. He's gotten to the top. Well, I can't say it three times because he's only done it twice. The next time, he's going to want to get to the top of the market. At some point, the amount of money that Russell Wilson wants is going to be so much, the Seahawks are going to say, nope, too much. We can't justify paying that much to Russell Wilson. And that's when they go back and they find a rookie who makes very little and they can use all that money on other players and try to recreate the Legion of Boom with a new round of players who get paid a lot of money. However that plays out, I think that's the pressure point and I think that comes next year, not this year. I think we got one more year before we're either going to have another major contract for Russell Wilson or he's going to be traded. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Mike. I, I think this is a key season for him and a key season for the Seahawks to see what they do. You know, in his second season, they go, they win the Super Bowl in 2013. They come back in 2014 and they get to the Super Bowl and they lose the Super Bowl. He's five and one uh, in those two seasons. And frankly, we all know they should have won that Super Bowl. They should have had back-to-back -back championships. It didn't work out uh, because of the interception there on the goal line. For the Seahawks and they've never seemed to recover from that they're three and five in the postseason since then that loss seemed to take a lot of juice out of them and so they need to figure out how to get Russell Wilson back to the Super Bowl this year it's not going to be easy with the salary cap going down but they need to figure it out whatever it is or I see him as you do leaving after this year and going somewhere else it is an amazing time in this league right now. We've never seen this before, Mike. You saw quarterbacks go to one place and stay forever. That's not the way it is anymore. 
And I think as more and more are having success elsewhere, specifically Tom Brady, it's beginning to spread. And quarterbacks are willing. And here's the thing that's kept it from happening in the past. I think that quarterbacks have refrained from even starting down that path verbally for fear of becoming an enemy within their fan base. And 10 years ago, five years ago, I don't think you hear a quarterback be as candid as Russell Wilson was being. He's being pretty candid. And Aaron Rodgers has stayed away from that line because I think one of the things he doesn't want to become is a pariah like Brett Favre was. I think that if and when there is a separation between Rodgers and the Packers, Rodgers wants to position it as it was them, not me. I wanted to stay. Once you start talking like maybe you want to go somewhere else, and Wilson's very diplomatic. It's not like he said trade me, but there's enough there. He's getting close to that line. He's getting close to that third rail. That's where it becomes potentially problematic, but I think we're going to see more quarterbacks willing to do it because ultimately these guys want to win. And this is one of my complaints about Matthew Stafford. 12 years in Detroit, and he put up with it. There's an item from Carlos Monterez of the Detroit Free Press. I've been meaning to write about it at PFT. It's trapped behind a paywall, but I got myself a copy of it. Monterez basically said, hey, in 12 years, I never saw a desire for greatness for Matthew Stafford. And that's one of the things I've been saying. Look, if you're not saying, we got to get better, we got to get better, we got to get better, if you're just like, hey, I work here, you're part of the problem. And you could argue Matthew Stafford's been part of the problem in Detroit because he didn't have that burning desire to win. The great ones have the burning desire to win, Shereen. Well, and here's the other thing, Mike. If you go somewhere else, you have far more power than where you are. So Tom Brady didn't have that power in New England, but before he signed with Tampa, I'm sure he said, hey, I want to bring some guys with me. I want to do it my way. I want to show these guys how to win. And the Bucs, who won one Super Bowl in their history and not since 2002, were all in. Whatever you want, Tom. Come sign with us and we'll let you do whatever. That's the way it is when you go somewhere else. That's the way it is for anybody in almost any business when you go somewhere else and you've been really good with where you are. You have a lot more say at the second site that you go to, Mike. Wilson also said that he is frustrated with getting hit too much. That was the guts of what Jason Lockenfora reported on Monday night. I think it's more than the offensive line issues. I think it's the offense. I think it's the team. I think it's everything that he looks around and sees with the Seahawks team that hasn't been good enough to get past the divisional round since 2014. Yes, the last time they went to the Super Bowl is the last time they made it out of the divisional round. And these quarterbacks are confident to the point of delusional. All professional athletes are. Russell Wilson isn't going to say it's on me. It's on somebody else. That's just how you're wired. I'm doing everything I can. You you put me on the Chiefs, we're in the Super Bowl. You put me on the Buccaneers, we're in the Super Bowl. You put me on this team, this team, this team, we're better than we are right now. And I think that the great quarterbacks can say that honestly and truthfully, that they're doing everything they can to win, but there's 21 other guys between the starting offense and defense that are on the field that may not be good enough. And we're going to see, I believe, more quarterbacks pushing for more power in the cities where they currently play. And if they don't get it, they're going to be pushing to get out of the place where they are. And we've seen this come up with receivers, running backs, other position players on both sides of the ball. They want out. Jamal Adams, you want out. You want out. You know, it's easier to say to a guy who isn't a quarterback who wants out, you got a contract. It's hard to say it to a quarterback. The minute the quarterback decides he's not going to be that boss on the shop floor, that he's not going to put in all those extra hours, that he's not as invested as he's been in the past, that he's going to take, and I hate to pick on Matthew Stafford, but he's the embodiment of this concept. If they're going to become Matthew Stafford and say, I just work here, well, good luck winning games then. Yeah, and Mike, I talked to somebody within the Texans organization today, and they're still intent on they're not trading Deshaun Watson. Well, this is going to come to a head because Deshaun Watson is intent on not playing for the Texans. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And these quarterbacks, the, the few, the handful, have a lot of power, and they're now using that power to get what they want. I have no idea how the Texans are ultimately going to handle this, but I am confident in saying that at every fork in the road that they encounter in their relationship with Deshaun Watson, at every single fork in the road, they're somehow going to fork it up. All right, Patrick Mahomes uh, (laughs) is due to have toe surgery on Wednesday. Sorry, 
London. Patrick Mahomes and everyone else. Patrick Mahomes is due to have toe surgery on Wednesday, according to NFL media. He played through the injury since the divisional round against the Browns, rehabbed several months, expected to make a full recovery. Look, welcome to professional sports. Everyone who ever has an operation is, uh, uh, it was a success, expected to make a full recovery, and already ahead of schedule. Uh, you know, the reality is, and I know he said that he wasn't bothered by it in the Super Bowl. Of course he was bothered by it. Something happened early in the game to aggravate it as he was running for his life. Shireen, it was an issue. It was a problem. And now he's getting it fixed just three days after the game. Yeah, and he wasn't on the injury report last week, which, you know, I think maybe he should have been on the injury report, but even though he was a full participant all week. And he had said early last week it was 100%. It's clear it wasn't 100%. And the report for me and Rappaport came out before the game that it wasn't 100%. He might need surgery coming up this week, and now he's certainly going to have that surgery. And I'm sure he'll be fine. He will miss out. If there's any on-field work, he'll miss out on that. But he'll be ready for training camp when the Chiefs go report, and I'm sure he'll be fine. But, yeah, of course it affected him. You could tell it affected him. He ran for his life, and if that – Foot had been fine. I think you would have seen more runs uh, by Patrick Mahomes in the 33 yards that he had. And maybe they had a better chance, Mike. And Sims and I kind of peeled back the onion a little bit today. Mahomes was listed on the injury report as a full participant, as you mentioned, and the toe was disclosed. That tells us he was getting treatment on the toe last week. Sims made a great observation. They exercised the privilege of elevating Matt Moore from the practice squad to the roster. You can do that with two guys. That that was a rule pre-pandemic. 53-man roster can become 55. Two guys can come up. Matt Moore came up. I think they were concerned that the flight to Tampa could aggravate the toe, could cause swelling, could cause a problem. They get to Tampa, everything's fine, or at least they think it's fine. Matt Moore wasn't on the active roster that day, so it was just Mahomes and Chad Henney. But they had Mahomes... With Henny and Moore behind him on the 55-man roster for a reason, and I think there may have been some concern, and we saw that concern become manifested early in the game when he was hobbling around, not quite as badly as he was against the Browns, but it clearly was an issue, much more so than it was against the Buffalo Bills. All right, uh, real quickly, we talked earlier today about Carson Wentz and what's going on with the Eagles and the Colts and the Bears, and I really don't think the Bears are part of this. I was on the score in Chicago today, and I don't know, they seem interested in having Carson Wentz there, maybe just for the theater of it. I can't imagine the Bears fans wanting Wentz. I can't imagine Wentz wanting Chicago. Shereen, I think it's the Colts or no one, and the Eagles have no leverage. they got to give the Colts whatever package the Colts want to put on the table for Carson Wentz. Otherwise, the Eagles are going to be stuck with this guy because I don't see anybody else trying to get him. No, and I, and I think it will be the Colts. You were on this way long ago, even during the season, that you thought the Colts were the ideal spot for a trade so he can reunite uh, with Frank Wright and now with Press Taylor. And I think that's how it's going to play out, Mike. I think he's going to end up there. But I think the Eagles are going to get far less than what they thought they were going to get. And part of it is they are unloading that $40 million in guaranteed pay that covers yeah. this year and next year. The final $15 million or so vests March 19, 20, something like that. So they got to get this deal done to get him off the books. This is far closer to Jared Goff than Matthew Stafford. This is a hot potato type of a deal. And any net trade compensation you get is a bonus because for the Eagles, they are unloading a contract they're ready to get rid of, and that's what is keeping them from getting the kind of offers they think they should get. Let's take a break. When we return, what will the Patriots do at the quarterback position and other issues related to the New England franchise? Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston joins us here on PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. And here he is, our good friend and colleague from NBC Sports Boston, Tom Kern. I see what you're doing there. I see what you're doing there, Groucho. Welcome back. How are you? I'm great. How are you? How are you, Shereen? Good. Good. I want to. I, I want to take the temperature, not the old-fashioned way. I want to take the temperature of Boston two days after Tommy goes. Not Tommy Kern. Tommy Brady goes to Tampa and he's one for one. Wins a Super Bowl in his first year with the team. What's the overall mood in Boston in response to that achievement? Boy, as with any place, it's a little bit tribal. There is a sense of ownership in that I'm pissed off to see Tom Brady having that kind of fun someplace else. He's our guy, and we're his guys, and this pisses us off. There's another segment that is very irritated that this is still an elite-level quarterback by virtually every measure, and now the Patriots, who had him in-house and basically held the door for him to walk out of house, are in the market for a quarterback when this guy was still good and now he's in Tampa Bay. And then there's another group, I think, another segment of the population, which is mostly loyal to the New England Patriots. And as a result, point out that that wasn't going to happen if he was here because it's not a good enough team, A. And B, are you meaning to besmirch Bill Belichick after all he's done here? Is that what you're doing, son? So there's those three factions. Tom, I didn't go to the Super Bowl for the first time since February of 1994, but if I had my choice of where I wanted to watch the Super Bowl on Sunday, it would not have been in Tampa. It would would have been at Bill Belichick's house or wherever he watched the Super Bowl. You know Belichick as well as anyone. What do you think he was thinking watching that game, and do you think he was rooting for Tom Brady? Yeah, I think – Yeah, I would imagine that he was rooting for Tom Brady, although he does have a great affinity for, for Andy Reid and a great friendship. So I don't know if rooting interest in, enters into it, but for everything that Brady would have done well in that game, guys, I think that he would have said, yeah, well, I mean, what do you expect? We knew he could throw the football. I mean, we know he's smart. It's not like we didn't know these things. It's just everything else that came with it. It's not get ridiculous here. Um, but I think, you know, deep down, I don't think that the pressure – Bill Belichick is under, could have been ratcheted up anymore because he is that kind of a type A person. But I think ownership probably has its attention peaked right now because this is worst case scenario for the franchise. And Mike, they had two videos. They had a tweet ready and then they had a video ready Monday that was entitled simply The Quest with Matthew Slater narrating that the Patriots are all about winning and they won't rest until they're back to winning. It's very much in response to what the Tom Brady did. Yeah, obviously, and that puts even more pressure on Bill Belichick and the front office and ownership to make a move at quarterback that allows them to feel like they've got something. You can't just hang around and wait for a bargain basement opportunity like late June, Cam Newton falls into your lap. You got to do something. You got to make a statement. Do do they feel that urgency, do you believe? Because I think from the outside, I look at it and I say, hey, look, your move, Bill Belichick, you got to do something at quarterback, and it can't be Jarrett Stidham, it can't be Cam Newton, and it definitely can't be Brian Hoyt. 100%. They they feel the urgency, but I don't think that they want to get caught into a situation where, here, let's make a mistake like, say, drafting, I don't know, J.P. Lossman's level quarterback just to satiate people who want to see a quarterback come in because now you've dug yourself 
another three-year hold. So absolutely, I think the urgency will register. But for it to register at the quarterback position, I don't think Belichick is of a mind that, look, just to satiate the masses here, I'm going to go and sign or draft Mac Jones and, and sign Mitch Trubisky. If he doesn't think that's the right thing to do, I still think that he will foot drag and say, I know more about what wins in the NFL now, and I still do, than anybody else. We know Cam Newton's a free agent, so what's your best guess on who the Patriots quarterback's going to be in 2021? We do this every single day on our programs, early edition, quick slants, Boston Sports Tonight. It is perpetual. And it is for the entire half an hour or hour of the programs, except for a little bit of Celtics and Bruins here and there. Um, my best guess right now is, is Mitch Trubisky level type of quarterback. Um, a reclamation project. And there's a reason for that too. It's historic to Belichick. He hasn't guys one with high profile first time around draft picks. He moved on from Bernie Kosar, replaced him with Vinny Testaverde. When he got to New England, he moved on from Drew Bledsoe, replaced him with sixth-round pick Tom Brady. Brady got hurt, seventh-round pick Matt Castle. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in as a Division II quarterback, probably would have been able to, if Brady didn't play at the level he did, assume that position. So on and on throughout Belichick's career, he has seen and found guys who can do the job if they're not taken highly. So that, I think, lends to the belief that I have that he's not going to overextend for a Mac Jones type who may or may not be a good quarterback just because he's there. And bringing in a guy like Mitchell Trubisky would set the bar low. So nine mm-hmm. and seven, 10 and six would feel like a good accomplishment. The problem though, is the heat that you're going to take when you make the acquisition of a guy that is just going to make the fan base and the media say, what, what are they doing with, whether it's Mitchell Trubisky or any other low-level veteran free agent quarterback that would be a reclamation project. How much damage does it do to the perception of the Patriot way that, as you reported in the aftermath of the tentative deal for Matthew Stafford to be traded to the Rams, he originally told the Lions, I'll go anywhere but New England? I think that, you know, whether or not Belichick's genius remains fully and completely intact post-2020 playoffs, the way it was prior is up for debate. But I think that would have existed anywhere in terms of the, the Matthew Stafford contention and with anyone. And, and I think you've done a great job highlighting the next step to what's going to happen with players in 2021. You know, Matthew Stafford goes to a great spot. Well, if a bunch of guys get cut because of the falling salary cap, guys who are valuable players but just don't fit on the balance sheet of so many teams, those guys are then released and there's no market for them. Say, I mean, for lack of a, give me a, give me a mid range guy. Give me 2016, Chris Hogan. Okay. Say he gets released. Not now Chris Hogan, but Sammy Watkins gets released. He's the, if he has to play for the minimum, he's not going to come to new England to do it, to see Matt, Mitch Trubisky, whether or not he can reinvigorate his career, he's going to go to LA and Matt Stafford, which is exactly what you were pointing out, Mike and Shireen. This notion that there can be a Pied Piper effect. Bill Belichick has flourished and benefited from the presence of Tom Brady for years. Player after player has said it. I'm going there because Tom Brady's there. What will that be now that Tom Brady's not here? Tom, one thing we seem to have forgotten as the season has gone on is how many players the Patriots had opt out for COVID reasons. And mm-hmm. I think we expect all of those players to come back this year. How much will they help and how close does that get them to the Bills, and, you know, knowing that we don't know who the quarterback is yet? Here's the thing, Shireen. I keep saying this. The Patriots have a very high floor. I mean, they can have an embarrassing quarterback slash passing game in 2020. No tight ends, very low-level wide receivers, and still win seven games because the program's that strong. You bring back Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung and Marcus Cannon and Brandon Bolden, and maybe you get something from the tight end, Matt Lacoste, you immediately add perhaps a win, perhaps two wins. You get leadership back. So it makes a big difference. Devin McCourty told me last week on our podcast that he expected all of those guys to return. It's not official. 
but Devin said as, as far as he understands, they're all coming back. It makes an, an immediate impact, especially Hightower and Chong Shireen. How much longer do you think Belichick's going to coach? And is there a chance that Brady ends up playing longer than Belichick holds the whistle? Boy, I think that Belichick, he will be 69 in April. So I would say 72. And I think it might be a dead heat between those two leaving. Boy, that'd be something to go in the Hall of Fame together. Oh, oh, the pictures. I mean, can you see Bill in the mustard jacket with this uh, kind of? (laughs) I think he'll smile. He'll smile and he'll bring his rings. And the question is, who will have more wing? Who will have more rings when they go into the Hall of Fame on the same day? Will it be Brady or will it be Belichick? I mean, Belichick has to get back to the playoffs, Mike. I mean, is that a layup? Do you think Bill Belichick will 1,000% complete certainty coach another playoff game in his career? Certainty? I think, yeah, with seven spots in the AFC, yes, I think he will. So what would you put the, what would you put the percentage? Of him, of him coaching in another playoff game? Coaching another I'd put playoff it game. At, I'd put it, I'd put it at 77.5%. How's that? That's kind of low. I, okay, right 87.5. I don't know. I no, think I'm he will. Say, I think I'm he will. I'm going to say it's 50-50. No, I think he will. Gonna, All, right, uh, All right, Tom, we got to let you go. Thanks for some of your time. And uh, we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you, pal. Coming up, Super Bowl 55 awards. Michael David Smith is going to join us. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. MDS joins us now, Super Bowl 55 in the rearview mirror, but it's time to hand out awards. We've got five categories today. There's MDS. We're going to get right into it with Call of the Game for Super Bowl 5-5, MDS, you're up first. Well, I'm going to go with the Buccaneers going for it on that fourth and one, where, of course, they got stopped. Ronald Jones got stuffed at the goal line, didn't get in, but it led to a series of possessions where the Chiefs couldn't get very far, backed up deep in their own territory, shanked the punt, giving the Buccaneers great field position, and then the Bucs scored a touchdown, and I just think that shows why you should always go for it on fourth and goal from the one because even if you get stopped, you're backing the other team up in terrible field position. You're going to take over in good field position most likely. In the long run, playing the field position game, it works to go for it on fourth and goal from the one. And I'm going to go MDS with the touchdown the Bucks had right before the end of the first half. I just thought that was huge. Ten seconds left, no timeouts. They're at the one-yard line, and you say, all right, well, they trust Tom Brady. But I thought back to that Patriots-Chiefs game in, in early October, and the Chiefs had the ball at the – I'm sorry, they were at the Chiefs 13. The Patriots were. They were trailing 6-3, to three, and Brian Hoyer takes that sack of Frank Clark – They get no points out of it. That was huge. You trust Tom Brady. 
AB runs the wrong route. They still get the touchdown. Now it's 21-6 at the half. That was huge. Almost exactly what they did in the NFC Championship game against the Packers. Scotty Miller scores with one second left, and they're up 21-10. Both of those games were over at halftime, Mike. And setting the stage for that touchdown by Antonio Brown was the Scotty Miller-type call, sending Mike Evans deep with 40, wait, 44-24. It was 44 seconds, I think, 24 seconds. After they got the first down, the clock was running. The Chiefs had taken those two timeouts. They send Mike Evans deep, and he draws the pass interference foul from Brashad Breland. I think there was a little bit of acting, not a ton. It wasn't a full-blown soccer flop. But there was some embellishment as as Mike Evans went to the ground. He drew the flag, and it set the Buccaneers up where they could get it into the end zone. And there is a huge difference in my mind between 17-6 to and 21-6, to and definitely a huge difference between 21 and 14. If the Bucs don't score on that drive, and they were aided by the two timeouts taken by the Chiefs, if they don't score on that drive, Chiefs get the ball first to start the second half. One drive down the field, two-point conversion if they choose to do it then, makes it 14-all, and we got a brand-new ball game. All right, next, X-Factor for Super Bowl 55. MDS, who you got? Well, I have Tristan Wirtz, the rookie offensive tackle, who was so good in this game, but really good throughout the season and the playoffs, and I don't think got enough credit. And, in fact, I'll go so far as to say if we were doing offensive rookie of the year voting right now, including the playoffs, I think I would take Tristan Wirfs over either Justin Herbert or Justin Jefferson, of course, neither of whom got a chance to bolster their resumes in the playoffs. Herbert and Jefferson were the only two players who got any offensive rookie of the year votes, but Wirfs was just outstanding. He was great in the Super Bowl, very good all season long, especially as a pass blocker and I really thought deserved more credit than he got for how well the Buccaneers offense played in Super Bowl Sunday. I'm going to go with Byron Leftwich, MDS, and we saw it in the clip to open the show. Somebody thought he was Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is getting all the love, and rightfully so, for holding the Chiefs to nine points. But I think we need to at least throw a bouquet the way of Byron Leftwich because he was fantastic in calling this game, 31 points, 340 yards. And, you know, if the hiring process, Mike, had begun this week, as a lot of people have proposed pushing it back, the Bucks may be looking for two new coordinators this week. Yeah, absolutely, because Leftwich, who got no interviews, would definitely get some consideration. And Todd Bowles, who did have some interviews, quite possibly would have ended up getting a job. And and I'll go with Todd Bowles as the X Factor, and it's a no-brainer for me. I What he did to deviate from the game plan that failed in week 12 using a game plan and getting his guys in the right mindset to implement the game plan in the Super Bowl rematch incredible stuff and we'll put him on that short list for next year the question is if the Buccaneers should regress next year if the Buccaneers end up seven and nine eight and eight I'm just saying yeah yeah we don't know what's going to happen from one year to the next if they don't make the playoffs or if they're just one and done or something like that, don't win the division, just aren't very aren't what they were this year. Well, people just assume that all of a sudden Todd Bowles doesn't know how to coach. It really is amazing how timing, how positioning yourself at the right moment gets you a job when, you know, a down year. Well, the guy that we thought was a genius in February now isn't a genius in late December. It's kind of strange how that works. But Bowles, for me, was the key to that victory for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, stat of the game. MDS, you're up. My stat was Patrick Mahomes with a career-low 52.3 passer rating, worst he's ever had in any game. And, you know, he was just running for his life all game long. He didn't get a lot of help from his wide receivers. He struggled in this game like no other game since he's been in the NFL. Uh, obviously still has an outstanding future ahead of him, but it was really remarkable, I thought, that this was just the first time we've ever watched the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and said, boy, he, he just can't do anything. They, they've got him in this game. Um, it speaks to what you said of Todd Bowles having such a good game and also just it, it was just a down game all around for that Chiefs offense. 
I'm going to go with the 22-point margin of victory for the Bucs in this game. And if you go back to Tom Brady's previous six Super Bowl wins, not surprisingly, I'm a journalist, so my math wasn't that good yesterday. I forgot the 10-point win that Tom Brady had over the Rams. So his previous margin of victory for the six games was actually 29 points. Not 19, as I said yesterday, but it was still close. 29 points for those six, 22 uh, for this one. The previous blowout was the 10-point margin of victory over the Rams. They'd all been close Super Bowls, Mike, until this one for Tom Brady. This one was not close. I kind of swore in one of those photos it looked like a much younger Steve Kornacki, who is a Patriots fan. I, it just, what in the world's going on here? All right. Um, Never mind. I apologize. I'm getting a phone call. Uh, I, I, I thought I had my ringer off. Um, all right. Next one for me, the Patrick Mahomes stat of the yardage that he ran or mileage that he ran behind the line of scrimmage before throwing the ball or getting sacked. This came from Next Gen Stats, and it came to our attention from Seth Walter. 497 yards before his passes or sacks in the – Super Bowl, just amazing, and it was the highest of the season. Second place was 495 by Mahomes in Week 5 against the Raiders, another game that the Chiefs lost. But with that bad toe, to run that far before throwing the ball or getting sacked, incredible, incredible that he was able to do it and do it as well as he was. All right, missed opportunity time, Super Bowl 55, MDS, go. Well, the Chiefs kicked a field goal on fourth and goal just a minute before halftime, and I think that was a big mistake they should have gone for it there because if you score a touchdown you're right back in the game even if you fail to convert you're going to pin the Buccaneers deep they probably play it safe and just go into halftime there instead after the Chiefs kicked the field goal the Buccaneers got a good return on the ensuing kickoff marched right down the field scored a touchdown before halftime ended up extending their lead by four points compared to where it was before the Chiefs kicked that field goal and, you know, I mentioned earlier, I liked Bruce Arians going for it on a fourth down, even though he didn't do it, even though he didn't get it. This is a time when I don't like Andy Reid kicking the field goal, even though the field goal was good. In that situation, they really should have gone for it on fourth down. And MDS, we always talk about teams doubling up when they're going to get the kickoff to start the second half. The Chiefs had a chance to double up there. They didn't. They lost points. They come out to open the second half, and they settle for another field goal. Now, the play calling to me on that drive was not good. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire goes for runs of 21 and 10 yards on two of the four first three plays of that drive. They don't give him the ball again. They stall out. They kick the field goal. Huge difference there, too, that they get the field goal and not the touchdown. Yeah, and look, another decision that was a missed opportunity for the Chiefs. We talked about this earlier on that last Buccaneers drive. And when the Buccaneers got the ball back with 105 to go, I figured that, what are they going to do? Run the ball a couple of times. You're too far away from the end zone. It, surely they're not going to try to drive down the field and score. And then Kansas City starts calling timeouts. First down, I get it. Leonard Fournette went nowhere. Take the timeout. Maybe you get a chance to get the ball back and do the Bill Belichick double dip, get a score near the end of the half, and score to start the third quarter. But when they gain eight yards on the second down play and make a third and two, and the Chiefs take the timeout. Mm, uh, that's starting to make me a little more nervous. And what happened? They get the first down. Boom, the ball goes down the field to Mike Evans, the play we talked about earlier, and one domino falls after another. And the next thing you know, the uh, Buccaneers are up 21-6 to six going into the half. All right. Another category, a special category for this one because Tom Brady was named the MVP of the game. We have decided to name the real MVP of the game because all three of us agree that it shouldn't have been Tom Brady. MDS, who do you think it should have been? Well, I really like the game turned in by Vita Vea, who we weren't even expecting to see again when he broke his leg in October, but he was outstanding and he had the kind of impact that doesn't show up much in the stats. He's not the guy who gets a lot of sacks, gets a lot of tackles for loss, but what he is is the guy who can, he can just push a center or a guard straight back into Patrick Mahomes' face. I thought there were a lot of plays when Patrick Mahomes, the reason he escaped the pocket, as you mentioned, having to run around so much behind the line, I thought Vita Vea was the guy who got the first push that made Patrick Mahomes say, okay, 
I can't stand in the pocket. I got to make a play with my legs here. And that was just the theme of the game that that inside pressure was really getting to Patrick Mahomes. I thought Vita Vea, for a guy who we thought was done for the season, coming back and making that kind of impact was very impressive. Well, let me just say first, I know what it feels like now to be Florio, to pick third like he did the whole entire year. You get the scraps, right? So I would have voted for one of the two guys. If I had an MVP vote, which I have before, I would have voted for one of the two guys that, that you guys have. But I did think that there were 11 players in that defense that you could have picked. And Antoine Winfield had a great game when you consider what they did in week 12 against Patrick Mahomes, giving up 462 yards. They come back in this game, give up 270 to Mahomes and intercepting twice. And he had one of those interceptions. And I think we need a shout out too to Levante David for the job that he did on Travis Kelsey. That was just a great defensive performance, Mike, that the Buccaneers had all the way across the, the line. And you had your chance. You had your opportunity. There was a grace period. You had to go out for your one-hour walk in the 22-degree wind chill that, you know, we, 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 MDS and I really feel sorry for you, given that, like MDS said, he would kill for a 22-degree wind chill right now in Chicago. Devin White was my choice. I tweeted it during the game. Devin White should be the MVP. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen, but he was the guy that, that – that, and, and also, if they did it like they do it in hockey – where it's a full yeah. postseason MVP. Is it the Conn Smythe? Is that the trophy? Yeah. Something tells me it is. Um, yeah. it, is a t it is the Conn Smythe. Blind squirrel eats acorn. But, but it would have been Devin White, right? For the full playoffs, yeah. it was Devin White. And, and I wish that, that he would have gotten more consideration. I don't know how much he ultimately got. But it's Tom Brady, and he had three touchdown passes. It's hard to overcome that without at least a pick six or a fumble recovery for a touchdown. All right. MDS, great stuff. We're going to take a break. When we return, some reflections on and memories of the late Marty Schottenheimer. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Marty Schottenheimer, longtime NFL assistant coach and head coach with multiple franchises, passed away Monday at the age of 77. Chargers, Browns. Chiefs, Washington, one year in Washington where Daniel Snyder had overcome his nature and handed the keys to Marty Schottenheimer. And after one year, Snyder decided to take him back. And to just show you how accomplished Schottenheimer was, he landed with the Chargers the very next year. He didn't sit back and collect his, his buyout. He, he just kept working. And his last stint with the Chargers was a 14-2 and season in 2006. They had the game won. Remember that? Was it Marlon McCree? Was it Marlon McCree who fumbled the ball after an interception, opening the door for the Patriots to steal was, that game? Yeah. And then, and then uh, Schottenheimer was fired. He had that that ongoing feud with AJ Smith, the GM of the team. You got to have a GM and a coach who get along. And when you have a coach like Marty Schottenheimer, you got to find a way to make it work because that team was uh, very, very close to being at the elite in the NFL. And frankly, if they had beaten the Patriots that day, they always matched up really well with the Colts. It could have been the Chargers against the Bears in Super Bowl 41, Shereen, not the Colts against the Bears. And you think about all those great coaches, Mike, who never won a championship. It's like the players we talk about, but Don Coriel, Bud Grant, Marv Levy, Paul Brown, Dan Reeves, Marty Schottenheimer, you put all those guys together as some of the greatest coaches in NFL history, and yet they were never able to to win a Super Bowl. And uh, it's unfortunate that they that he never got one of those. I think he deserved to have one five and 13, unfortunately, in the postseason for him. But what a great head coach it was. And I think it tells you how good he was because he kept getting those head coaching jobs, right? If, if you're lousy at your job, you don't keep getting other jobs when you get fired. And he was different from, and the two guys who always come to mind for me are North Turner and Wade Phillips. Greatest coordinators, yeah. never really all that great as head coaches, but so good when they went back to being coordinators, they kept getting opportunities. Schottenheimer was always good as a coach. Yeah. He was always good. It just it just worked out the way that it did, that he ended up coaching four different teams, and who knows what would, ha what would happen in Washington if Daniel Snyder hadn't taken back the keys to the car, because that's what it was. It was Snyder realizing after a couple of years that maybe things would work better if he just got out of the way, and after one year, he couldn't do it. Period. And my favorite Marty Schottenheimer story comes from that year in Washington and then the next year with the Chargers because Deion Sanders had arrived in Washington in 2000 
And when Schottenheimer became the coach, and this was a hard-nosed Oklahoma drills, bull in the ring, the old-school coach, Deion Sanders didn't want anything to do with it. So Sanders retired. Remember, he went to play for, like, the Toronto yeah. Argonauts or one of the CFL teams at one point. He was done. He's out. And they worked out a deal where he was able to retire, and he had to stay retired, and he was going to get to keep his signing bonus money instead of having to pay it back. This was just a year after Barry Sanders had to pay back a bunch of money to the Lions. Washington let him keep the money, but he had to retire. So the next year, when Schottenheimer's with the Chargers and the Raiders are putting together a Super Bowl team and Dion decides he wants to come out of retirement and I'm going to go jump on this Raiders bandwagon, and Daniel Snyder did him a favor, released him from the reserve retired list. Well, there was a glitch, and it was when I first became aware of the rule. After the trade deadline, every player who is released in any way, shape, or form, no matter the amount of experience, has to pass through waivers. Enter Marty Schottenheimer and the San Diego Chargers claiming Dion on waivers and preventing him from going to the Raiders. And some were saying when I pointed that out today, it was petty. No, it wasn't petty. It was fair. Because Deion Sanders walked away from Washington, kept his bonus money, and now he wanted to walk right back in and go pick the horse that he thought was going to win, and Marty and the Chargers kept it from happening. I loved it then, and I love it now. My favorite, Mike, besides that one, is before that first Browns-Broncos AFC title game, Schottenheimer gave a famous speech called the Gleam, G-L-E-A-M, pregame speech, and he said, there's a Gleam, man, there's a Gleam, let's get the Gleam, and Players didn't really know what that meant at the time. They're like, okay, let's get the gleam. And it became a rallying cry both for the city and for him. And he later explained that when you see the Vince Lombardi trophy, it has a gleam to it. And let's go get the gleam. So you've seen a lot of players today. I saw Sean Merriman did it, did a hashtag gleam. That's what it's about. Go get that gleam, man. And unfortunately, he's one of the guys who didn't get the gleam. And one of the realities in the NFL with 32 teams and there's only one gleam every year, and when you have the Patriots hogging so many of them over a 20-year period and you have Tom Brady wherever he goes now in position to keep taking them, it makes it hard for quarterbacks. It makes it hard for the coaches. But there's no shame in 200 career victories. Eighth all-time on the head coaching win list. Four different teams that Marty Schottenheimer led during his time in the NFL. 2004 NFL Coach of the Year. Uh, great, great man. Great, great coach. And we extend our condolences, obviously, to all of his colleagues, his family, his friends, and he's got a legacy that that will be part of the NFL lore for years to come, regardless of the fact that he never did actually get the gleam, Shereen. Marty Ball was fantastic. And Shereen he's throws in, up. There she in, is. His, in, his, in his 21 years of coaching, Mike, he had two losing seasons. That's my favorite Marty Schottenheimer stat. That is amazing. It is amazing, and it is a damn shame that it never worked out. But it just shows you how hard it is to make that path all the way to the top of the mountain. And just because you get close to it or get there one year, there is no guarantee you're ever going to be back there again or even within shouting distance of it. But that doesn't mean you're not a great and accomplished coach, and that's exactly what Marty Schottenheimer was. Just look around Twitter today and see the outpouring of love and memories and stories about Marty Schottenheimer. That's it for today's PFTPM. We'll see you back here again tomorrow afternoon at 5 Eastern. Have a great evening. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash.